See, the more sin continues to be in this world, the more we're not going to be able to fix our mess at all. It doesn't matter who's elected, we can't fix our brokenness. And so God, he intervened, he placed himself in our world, he took on flesh and became a man so that in our broken system, he could restore it. See, God's kingdom, if the kingdom of this world focuses predominantly on justice and giving you what you deserve, the kingdom of God has one goal and one goal only, to justify you. That's a fancy church word, so let me explain it. To justify is to be made right. But who are we needing to be made right with? God, the one we have sinned against. To become citizens in this kingdom of God, Jesus himself came down and took on flesh and became a man and suffered and died to make us right with God. Hi, this is Chris from The Point a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions. You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, and that's okay because faith is not about having it all figured out and God is not waiting for you to put your life together before he'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. We live in quite the divided world today, polarized and filled with anger and hatred and hurtful things on both sides of the spectrum. Now, how many of you are really excited? Like, I couldn't wait to get up to hear the pastor talk politics. <laughs> all right, there's a couple of you, and most of you are like me, all right? Nobody really wants to go to church to hear politics because this place is to be a sanctuary, a place of rest, a place of respite, a place where we can set aside all of those things that divide us and focus on what unites us, the God who loves us and cares about us deeply. Set aside all those opinions we may hold to come to what is truth. What do you say, God? Over the next several weeks, we're going to be diving into the Bible. What does it say about politics? I think it has a lot to say, and if you come in with any kind of preconceived expectation, uh, whether it's left or right, I don't care. Whatever your expectation of what I'm about to say, I'll probably disappoint you. There's a good chance I won't say the things you want me to say, and I'll probably say something you wish I wouldn't have said. So please forgive me. And I ask you to join me in this journey, not with skepticism and frustration and a desire to say you're wrong and I'm right, which so often prevails in our political conversations today. But I ask you to join me in this with a, a genuine heart seeking. God, what do you say? What matters to you? And I hope that over the course of these several weeks, we will all grow and we will all learn. And not only will we learn, it's my hope that we will be more united on election day than ever before. 
even if we vote entirely differently. Because I think what the Bible says about who God is and how we relate to this world gives us a lot of freedom and a lot of permission to be very different and still really united. Now, if we're going to talk about what the Bible says about politics, we have to begin with an understanding that the Bible says absolutely nothing about democracy. Like, there is not a single verse in the Bible that will tell you how American politics should be structured or should run or how they should function because America didn't exist when the Bible was written. I don't know if you know that. God's chosen promised land, as some would say, wasn't around when this word came to be. The Bible's not gonna tell us anything of the specifics of how this country should run or who should run it. But what it will tell us is a framework, a picture, a lens through which we can view politics and we can take our faith in one hand and politics in this world on another and say, what do we do when these two things collide? That's where we're gonna begin today. We're going to begin with this idea, the tale of two kingdoms. You see, throughout scripture, there's this concept that begins all the way in the beginning. In Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God creates the world, all of creation, everything that is, he made. And it was good. And because it was good, there was rule and there was order and there was ways that it existed and it operated that were good. And there was tasks and things for Adam and Eve to go about doing work to partake in, things to enjoy, and they were good. And everything was unified. They could live in this world fully connected to God. But then in Genesis 3, all the way there, almost in the beginning, everything falls apart. And this world as we know it becomes corrupted and tainted and twisted and broken. And in that brokenness, there becomes a division. A division between two different worlds, two different kingdoms, two different ways in which God moves in our community today. This division has been here now from almost the beginning when that first sin entered in. There's a promise that this division will one day end. One day these two kingdoms I'm about to tell you about, one day these two kingdoms will be reunited. And when they're reunited, everything in this creation will be perfect forevermore. But until then, sometimes it's really messy and really murky and really difficult. So here's the first of the kingdoms. It's, it's the, a little bit of Latin. I don't know a whole lot of Latin, but I'll share with you about the extent of what I know today. It's this phrase called Corum Deo. Anybody familiar with that? Maybe you've heard it a few times, but you don't necessarily know what it means. Here's really simply the Latin. Corum is before or in the presence of Deo, God. There's this kingdom that we live in, in the presence of God. Jesus often talks about this kingdom. In fact, in Matthew alone, that one gospel, 46 different times, Jesus talks about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven interchangeably. And oftentimes, the way he talks about them are really frustrating and kind of confusing. Like, consider this, he talks about this parable of the sower. The kingdom of heaven is like a, a sower who goes out and he throws seeds everywhere and some falls on the path and some on good soil and some on rocky soil and some on thorny soil and ultimately 
the whole peril, or parable is this story about how God's kingdom works in this world. But oftentimes when we read these stories of Jesus, we get stuck. See, we read these stories of Jesus and we think, what does this mean for me? So what is God saying I should be like here? Anytime you read the phrase, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven from Jesus' mouth, understand he's not talking about what he expects of us. No, he's talking about what God is actively doing in this world. So like that parable of the sower, where the, the seed is just scattered wherever, we're like, oh, that's just how they sowed seeds. But that is not how they sowed seeds. Because if you've ever lived on a farm, you know that if your farm doesn't produce food, you go hungry. More so then when they didn't have Walmart to run to to bail them out. And so when Jesus says there's this sower who just recklessly and carelessly throws seed wherever, all of the hearers who had farms of their own are like, that guy's an idiot. Why would you do that? You don't want to throw seed on the path. Of course it's not going to grow. But the kingdom of heaven is like this. God's not holding back and reserving his kingdom or his word or his way only for those who deserve it or are ready for it. He freely gives it to all. He tells another parable later. He tells this parable uh, of the, the good treasure. Maybe you're familiar with it. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who finds a buried treasure in a field and he goes and he sells everything he owns to have that treasure. And we often talk about this like, is Jesus your treasure? Right? Have you given everything up for him? Who of us have? I don't think any. We often talk about that parable as if it's what you and I need to do, but it's about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, the way God works in this world is like a man who finds a great treasure and gives everything up to have it. God has found a great treasure in his creation, in you and in me, and has given everything up that he could have us. See, when we read Jesus talking about the kingdom of God, the way the world works before God, we have to recognize that you and I have been made somebody new by the work that he has done. His kingdom is nothing like this world. So if you're looking at the the ballot and you're trying to decide which candidate looks the most like Jesus and which candidate will make America the most godly nation in the world again, you're missing the point. Because your voting is not about making America this wonderful, godly, Christian nation. It's about something different, but we'll get there. You see, the kingdom of God before God, this realm that we live in, not a single one of us can earn this. In in Philippians, it says this, if you put it up, sorry, I'm jumping ahead, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Jesus throughout scripture is described as the king of kings who sits enthroned and everything in creation is subject to him. And you and I have been made citizens. Did you know that you were a dual citizen? If you're a citizen of the United States, you're also a citizen of God's kingdom. Possibly. We'll talk about how you get there. If you're a citizen of some other country, even if they don't speak English, 
You can be a citizen of this country. You see, God's kingdom, the way he operates, is not like us at all. It says we have been made citizens and we await a savior who will transform our lowly bodies. You see, in the kingdom of this world, things are really broken. In the kingdom of God, things are perfect. Everything is perfect. There's no longer sin or sorrow or suffering. There's no longer even death itself. In the kingdom of God, the way God works in this world, everything is as it should be. But right now, it's not. That leads me to this other kingdom we are citizens of, this kingdom we belong in, this kingdom that affects our daily lives every single day in every single way. The Latin is this corum mundo, which means in the presence of or before the world. See, you and I live in this tension of living simultaneously before God and before the world. And sometimes those two things contradict each other and are polar opposites of each other. You see, the kingdom of this world functions with one goal in mind. The way this world is created to function, it is supposed to function for the purpose of justice. Now, hear me out. Justice is used quite a bit as a a tagline, a, a catchphrase, something to motivate people for a couple of days on social media, and then it goes away. Justice is giving people what they deserve. This world operates on that principle. Everybody gets what you deserve. Now we know this isn't true, right? Injustice happens. Things people don't deserve happen to them and sometimes it happens for a lot of different reasons. Maybe even the very government over us is perpetuating injustice. See, we live in this world where the goal is supposed to be justice. But over the course of the next couple weeks, we'll see why justice doesn't always happen. And the short answer is this. Because the people called to lead in this world before man are broken and imperfect, sinful people who do injustice. Now, to be fair, none of us really want what we deserve most of the time. Because to get what you deserve means that when you do something wrong, you can never be forgiven of it. Not just before God, like with your spouse or your friend or your boss. If you do something wrong, you're out. One strike, no no three strike rule. You're done. It's justice. You deserved to be demoted, to lose your job, to have your relationship fall apart. It's justice. Now, in this broken, sinful world, justice is really messy. Because we have to have a standard of truth to decide what is just and what is not. If your truth is different than my truth, how do we determine which thing is actually giving you what you deserve? We don't. And so as long as we have a society that doesn't have the same common ground and understanding of life in this world, we will always struggle to find justice. Period. This world, it functions for the purpose of justice, to give you what you deserve. So if you work really hard, it should give you really good things. It's not always true. It's the way it's supposed to be. 
So in this world where things are not as they're always supposed to be, as they don't function the way they're supposed to be, what do we do? How do we live in this broken world where justice doesn't always happen, where injustice seems to happen more often than not, sometimes really small and and trivial things and sometimes really big and horrific things? How do we live in this world that is divided and broken and filled with tension? Well, I made a couple of charts for you to help kind of visually picture how we live in both simultaneously. So this first chart here, you got this top line, which is Coram Deo, right? God's kingdom is above the kingdoms of this world because God's kingdom is over everything. The way in which God works will win. Just maybe we have to wait for that final day. The way in which God will do everything perfectly and restore everything that is broken will take place. So I made it a solid line in that graph, right? Because it's perfect, unbroken, it will happen. But this world that we live before simultaneously is also really, really broken. People say hurtful things, people do hurtful things, people say one thing and do another. And because this world is broken, we have to ask, how do we make this world the way it's supposed to be? How do we live in this broken world the right way? In a couple weeks, we're gonna talk about the role of the church and the culture and how the two interact. Uh, So just know that if you have a lot of questions that are not being answered today, if you come back over the next couple of weeks or you join us online, maybe some of those questions will be answered then. But how do we live in this broken world? Well, God's simple and yet really not that simple or easy answer is we don't. We don't. You and I cannot ever become a part of the kingdom of God in his world and his reign by working hard and trying better. In fact, the world itself knows this even if you take God out of it. There was a spirit, a time, a motive when the world was driven by a furthering positive progressive thought. If only we as a, a world can become better, right? We work harder, we strive more, we can do more. And this worldview changed the world for a lot of really good out of this worldview that said we can always try harder and do better and we will overcome evil and brokenness came the drive that created all of the vaccines that we have that have mitigated some of these terrible diseases. Came a significant amount of our medical study from this idea we as a community can get better. Good stuff came from it. This was all in the early 1900s when this was the primary way in which we as a Western world thought. If only we try harder, humanity can get better. And then two really terrible things happened. First, World War I. And I said, hold, hold on, these like chemical weapons, that's really bad, right? That doesn't seem like the world is getting better. Maybe our technology has actually developed in such a way we're causing pain. But then we won the war and life started getting better. The economy picked up and we're like, oh, okay, never mind. We'll, we'll just keep going forward. That was a temporary setback. And then came World War II, and millions of people died at the hands of a dictator, an evil man who wanted to kill people simply for their ethnicity, or their religion, or their race. And the world was once again wrecked. We thought that we would get better if only we tried harder, and now we've developed these tanks and these airplanes that can level cities. 
and these bombs that can kill hundreds of thousands instantly. What do we do? And for the last 80 or 70 or 80 years, we've wrestled with as a society, we want to get progressively better, but we don't know how. And so we try in some really good and well-intentioned movements of history, right? The civil rights movement. That was a wonderful opportunity to say something isn't right in this world and we should strive to fix it. And here we are 60 years later and we're still just as torn by racial issues as we were then. Racism hasn't disappeared. We set out with feminism to strive for equal rights for women and to give women all this empowerment and all these opportunities. And here we are facing a pandemic where more women are losing their jobs and not returning than men. Have we made that much progress as a world? Not really. See, the more sin continues to be in this world, the more we're not going to be able to fix our mess at all. It doesn't matter who's elected, we can't fix our brokenness. And so God, he intervened, he placed himself in our world, he took on flesh and became a man so that in our broken system, he could restore it. See, God's kingdom If the kingdom of this world focuses predominantly on justice and giving you what you deserve, the kingdom of God has one goal and one goal only, to justify you. That's a fancy church word, so let me explain it. To justify is to be made right. But who are we needing to be made right with? God, the one we have sinned against. To become citizens in this kingdom of God, Jesus himself came down and took on flesh and became a man and suffered and died to make us right with God. So I put here this next slide, this image of the cross. See, justification, the point at which you become saved, has nothing to do with your declaration or your public faith, nothing to do with how much you comprehend or you believe, but has everything to do with what Christ has done for you. There on the cross, these two worlds collided, and the kingdom of this world was superseded by the kingdom of God where he took authority back and said, this is still my world, and I will make it all right. So if you have been baptized, and if you can today cling to even the smallest measure of faith, there's this promise that we are in his kingdom, already made right. Throughout history, the church has described this duality as a now and not yet. Right now, we are perfect, and yet we don't yet look that way. Right now we are perfect before God and we're still not quite perfect before others. So comes this next process. If we're justified and made right with Jesus, there's nothing we do to inherit the kingdom of God. There's nothing we do to earn it, to work for it, to get there by ourselves. Then what? There's this process called sanctification or really simply becoming who God made you to be. See, you and I are still in this world broken and filled with sin. 
And our sinfulness causes us to hate our brother who we should be loving. Our sinfulness causes us to mistrust you because we don't like your opinion. Our sinfulness causes us to create walls of division that separate and say, you're over there and I'm over here. And I must be in the right category, the one that is correct, and you must be wrong. Rather than saying, what do we both have to offer that we could both learn from? What could we grow in if we did this together? If I saw you not for your political persuasion, but I saw you for the person that you are, how could we be better? And so this process of sanctification, it begins only when Jesus intervenes and makes us right before him. Knowing that we are secure before God, that in his kingdom nothing can ever shake us. Knowing this, then we get to change the way we live in this kingdom before man. We get to change the way we love in this kingdom. And so I have sanctification here kind of like an up and down mountain peaks, right? Because some days in this journey of becoming who God made you to be, your life will look really good. You'll do a great job at forgiving the person who harmed you, at loving the person you really can't stand. You'll do an excellent job of serving the least of these. And some days you won't. Some days you'll wake up And all you want is what's good for you. I know this might hurt them, but it's what's right for me. I know that I should do this, but I'd rather do that. And so the sanctification is a process where at any given moment in our life, our life may look closer to what God intended it to be, or it may look further. And one of the dangers we run with this journey of sanctification is evaluating where we are in that journey of becoming the person God made us to be and using that as a metric to determine where we are before God. You see, you can be an absolute terrible, horrible, arrogant person that nobody in the world wants to spend time with and still be right here before God, perfect and righteous and holy. Your standing in God's kingdom has nothing to do with your actions, period. But it is still really important. There are still people in this world who need you to suck less. Let's be honest, right? Nobody wants to go to work with the employee or the coworker who's an absolute monster, who complains all the time, who only says negative things. Nobody wants to spend time with the person who's always looking out for their own selfish, greedy interests. Nobody wants a relationship that's all about you and not about us. So while God doesn't need us to change our behavior, the world does. This broken world needs hope and peace and love. And when we engage in this process of becoming who God made us to be, some days it's hard and some days it seems pretty easy. But none of that changes where you stand before God. You are forgiven. In fact, that is the promise of the kingdom of God. It declares peace for you right now in the midst of chaos and turmoil. This world works towards peace, strives for peace. Justice is to help us live in a peaceful society. This world is always trying to improve how do we find more peace. And yet, even when we are in chaotic seas and turmoil, even there... God's kingdom speaks and declares, here's peace right now. 
right now for the midst of your crazy. If you don't really know what to do about a pandemic, you don't really know what to do about your finances, you don't really know what to do about your relationship, you don't really know who you want to vote for, in all of this crazy, God speaks peace. Peace be for you. Peace that comes from a God who has overcome this world, who reigns over this world, and nothing in this world happens that he's not in control of. We'll talk a little more about that in the weeks to come as well. God declares into this kingdom peace so that we can live not content to keep doing the evil and the harm that we've done, but to love differently. See, if you want to know how to live in the kingdom of God versus how to live in the kingdom of this world, it's going to be really simple. Any action you take that is an action of love towards your neighbor is for this world. God does not need you to love your neighbor, but your neighbor does. And any action you take that is towards the reconciliation with God for your neighbor, that's an action of his kingdom. So what I mean by that is this. When somebody sins against you and causes you great pain and you want to hate your enemy, you want to make them the problem, you want to come against them, but you choose to forgive them Instead, that is God's forgiveness coming through you and his kingdom breaking into this really broken, messy world. See, everything for God's kingdom comes down to one issue, faith. Faith. Believing in what he has done for you. Believing in what he's able to do in you. Believing what he wants to do through you. Trusting that you can give forgiveness to the least of these who don't deserve it because he's given it to you. So when we want to live in God's kingdom, we live in faith. And we want, when we want to live in this kingdom, we live with love. And these two things sometimes butt heads. Like what is the most loving action for my neighbor? I've been asking this question specifically of this building in this space. What's the most loving thing to do? Because in this building, we have a lot of neighbors who are homeless. And some of those neighbors, not all of them, choose to treat this building with a significant amount of disrespect and do things that are actually harmful to their health and ours. So what's the most loving way to serve my neighbor? While also showing them the faith that we have in Jesus. I don't have clear answers, but I believe God is in control and I can seek him and I can every day take a step and try to love differently and love more and love until it hurts. And maybe one day I'll find a temporary solution to the problems I'm facing today. You and I can live loving our neighbor in faith in God. I want to come to one more section of scripture, John chapter 18. In John chapter 18, Jesus is getting ready to die. In fact, he's been arrested, he's being questioned, he's being tried for a crime he didn't commit. And standing there before the ruler, the one who was chosen by the emperor to rule over that region, standing before Pilate says this, John chapter 18, beginning verse 33. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus to him. Are you the king of the Jews? 
See, this question is really pointed because the problem of Jesus claiming to be the king of the Jews is there was also an emperor in Rome who had established a king over the region. And if Jesus is claiming to be the king of the Jews, he's functionally saying to the emperor, your way doesn't matter, my way matters, and I'm the one who can do what I want. And in the region at the time, there was a lot of political unrest, a lot of turmoil. This is why if you read through the Gospels, you see multiple different Herods who are listed because these all different members of the same family were killing one another and overtaking power and there were rioting and there's all kinds of problems in the community because of people claiming to be the king, the rightful leader. So now Pilate got this really tough problem. If this man claims to be a king, I have to do something about it. Because if he claims to be a king, he might cause all kinds of civil unrest and disobedience, all kinds of turmoil that's actually going to cause me in my role to suffer and maybe even die at the hands of the emperor. So Pilate asks, are you the king of the Jews? Is this true? Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Look, are you coming to realize that I'm the king because you have faith to believe that I'm the king? Or are you coming to realize I'm the king because you were told it's true? Which is it? Pilate answers, am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? He's like, I can't say that you're the king of the Jews. I'm not a Jew. I don't know what it's like to be Jewish. I can't be a part of that community. Who am I to make that decision? So Jesus responds with this answer. Verse 36. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. It's really important for us to pause here and think for a moment. If my kingdom is of this world, my people would have fought to protect me and defend me. If my kingdom functions the way this world functions, we would have acted the way the world acts and done what the world does and cared about the world care, what the world cares about. But my kingdom's not of this world. It's entirely different. And today we live in a culture where the church, by and large, is really scared. There's a lot of people in the church scared that America is going to go in a really unhealthy direction, super far from God. And there's a lot of people in the church that are scared that America is going to cling to these old, unhealthy traditions in such a way that we cause injustice for others. And the church, in its fear, often acts just like the world. If only my candidate wins, then things will get better. If only you know how terrible your candidate is, then my candidate appears better. Let me tell you, knowing how bad somebody else is doesn't make me have more confidence in how good someone else is. Now, I want to know from you, what are you doing? Who are you? What is your character regardless of who else is there? If we as a church recognize that his kingdom is not of this world, we'd be freed to spend less of our energy trying to make it like this world. We don't need to make America God's chosen kingdom. God's already made that. 
And it belongs to all baptized believers in every nation and every tongue all around the world. What we need to do is strive to love our neighbor and to bring justice. And when we see injustice, there are times we must speak up and act up, and we'll get there in the weeks to come. So know this, loving your neighbor might mean trying to change something. But it doesn't mean you need to fight with them and convince them that you're right. God doesn't need you to defend his kingdom. He will do what he does regardless. My kingdom's not of this world. If it was, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over the Jews. My kingdom is not from this world. And then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Jesus says he came into the world to bear witness to the truth. We will only find justice when we have a common sense of truth, a common understanding of what is right and wrong. And in this broken world that is not always black and white, but super gray and really murky and confusing, sometimes truth is really hard to find. Jesus says, I came to bear witness to truth. Now elsewhere he says that he is the truth, but specifically I think to bear witness to truth is a reality that his kingdom doesn't come in power and might and a show of force, but in humble service to the least of these and sacrifice to those who don't deserve it. His kingdom comes when he lays down his life for us. If we want his kingdom to come today, or tomorrow, as we pray in the Lord's Prayer, when we want his kingdom to come in this world, we should join him in laying down our lives for others. And loving and serving and caring, especially for those who are different than us, or who we disagree with, or the people that really seem to hate us. Because that's what he did. After this, Pilate, he says, what is truth? And from that point forward, if you know the story, he just hands Jesus over and Jesus is crucified and dies. But we have hope. See, Jesus didn't stay dead. He conquered death. And so this kingdom of God and this kingdom of this world still reign and exist and still function side by side. And you and I live in a tension of the now and the not yet. Right now, this world is really ugly. But one day it won't be. One day it will be made right. One day everything will go away, not because we chose the right leaders or we changed the right laws. Everything will improve because Jesus, the King of Kings, will return. And he will sit on his throne over all of creation and restore everything. I've got one more graph for you, that image of the, the chart going up and down. There's another fancy church word called glorification. This idea of our bodies perfectly being in unity with the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world together. This idea of all of our lowly, broken, sinful mess being gone. Our hope in this journey of ups and downs, of striving to love and to live in faith and trusting in God while serving our neighbor in this journey, we will not get there in our lifetime. There's only two ways we get there. Either we die 
and Jesus takes us to that moment, or Jesus comes back and makes it that way for everyone. So this point of glorification, you and I will never reach the place where we're perfectly living in both kingdoms together. We won't get there. Not until he comes back or calls us home. In the meantime, we strive to love our neighbors, to serve and to care and to make a difference for the sake of justice today. Now, what does that look like? Well, there's a couple of things. To love and serve for the sake of justice, it might look like setting aside your own opinions and realizing it's okay to be silent. Jesus, who was the truth and the light of the world, spent a lot of time being silent while other people said all the wrong things. Loving your neighbor might look like choosing to serve a physical need that they have, even if they're ungrateful. Loving your neighbor might look like educating yourself about who you think will be the best candidates for these positions of leadership. Taking time not just to study the slander spoken against them, but the facts, the actual things they say and do, to study the things they stand for. And choosing to love your neighbor might include going to the polls and participating and trying to change how this country is led in whichever direction you believe it needs to be changed. Now choosing to live in God's kingdom and faith, every time we celebrate baptism, or we remember what he's done for us, every time we receive communion, his very body and blood for our forgiveness, his kingdom breaks in a little more in us. Every time we forgive somebody who's wronged us, his kingdom breaks forth. Every time we're faced with all this chaos and uncertainty and and confusion and fear and we trust in his peace, his kingdom comes forth. If you want to live in this dual reality of both his kingdom and the kingdom of this world, trust in God and love your neighbor. It's that simple. You join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you you have made us dual citizens, citizens of a heavenly kingdom and a kingdom of this world. We thank you that we are righteous and justified, made whole before you, and that has nothing to do with our journey, nothing to do with our striving to love better or to become who you made us to be. And yet, God, we thank you that for the sake of our neighbor, you are not content to leave us in our brokenness, You want to transform our minds and our hearts and our actions to serve and love the least of these. God, during this chaotic season of elections, with all the unknowns and all the fears and all the questions and all the confusion, God, teach us to live as citizens who care deeply about justice in this world and who trust greatly in the promise of your justification, that you have made it all right And will one day come to reign as King of kings and Lord of lords over everything in this creation. Until then, we trust you and love others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, 
simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.